tuned in to the Immersive Tribe podcast, discussing all things virtual, augmented and mixed reality. I'm Leanne and joining me is Andy Knight, the founder of VR AR development company, New Moon Studios. Hello and welcome to the podcast. So Andy, you've probably been to more expos than me and today we'll be discussing the future of the expo floor. So when I've been to trade shows, they've generally been, you get a free bag, free things inside, you might put your business card in and you get a prize at the end of it. What's your experience of attending them? Um, I've probably had more expos than I'd care to admit. I have expo fatigue. Um, <laughs> I do see that. I see people turning up and almost having a competition to see how much free merch they can get. And they don't really care about the brands they're getting the merchandise from. Um, I've seen some very gimmicky ways of engaging people and it's all very shallow interactions. People are spending two seconds with a brand, getting what they can, and then going. Um, and I think you have to wonder what happens to all that merchandise. I think it ends up in somebody's drawer. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I actually feel like that too. But we do know that the buying power at Expos is incredibly high. Like, people will pay to go to Expos. And people pay a lot of money to go there. I mean, you can pay up to the thousands to just attend. And that's not even um, exhibit. So it's kind of like, in my opinion, it's kind of a no-brainer that VR will be increasing at Expos, especially because everybody's fighting for attention. Playing a game actually not only gives you an endorphin rush, but it also gives the buyer a memorable experience. And the way it stands, only a few people have actually used VR. So for many people, you're taking a person's VR virginity. (laughs) I should copyright that. Yeah, <laughs> How long should a VR experience be and what's the benefits? And I'm particularly talking about it at a trade show. At trade shows, we found the optimal length of time is about three minutes. That gives yeah. them time to get into the VR hardware, put the headset on, orient themselves and actually play the game or experience what you've built. Um, the benefits are, as you said, it stands out. At most expos, you've got a massive... Uh, noise to signal ratio everyone's trying to draw everyone's attention in so it does stand out there's a sense of theater about it when it's done well people will see what you've done from the other side of the trade show floor they'll see the second screen they'll see somebody with the headset on maybe the hand controllers um, and they'll go okay so there's something happening there there's a there's that sense of there's something going on i need to go and check that out i think if you combine that with people's natural self-interest of having a prize for whoever plays the game best or maybe a prize draw for the top 10 on the leaderboard. You've got that perfect combination of um, novelty, self-interest and compelling um, technological experience. Mm. So when computer games started in the 80s and 90s, well, they didn't start in the 80s and 90s, they started to take <laughs> off in the 80s and 90s, why didn't we see an increase in trade show computer games then? Like, why is it VR the way forward and it wasn't computer games? There's a couple of different reasons. At the time when games started to take off in the 80s and 90s, um, there were a lot of arcades. So people wanted to play games. They had a lot of access to games. The home consoles and the home computers were very, very popular and people could play arcade games by going to an actual arcade. Most high streets had a proper arcade where you could play these games. And I think it's to do with the age as well. 
if you've got people going now to trade shows, they're digital natives. People who, who were playing games in the 80s and 90s, my generation, are now in the position where they are making business choices, they are making buying decisions for important businesses. The Nintendo generation, if you like, mm-hmm. have come of age. And gaming to them is second nature. To see gaming in an expo floor context is pretty compelling. And we do have people who look at a VR headset and go, no, definitely not. That's, I, I have no interest in that at all. But most people, when we see them at trade shows, they cannot wait to get in there. They've turned it to something that they thought was going to be quite dry, and now they've got a, a gaming uh, possibility in front of them. And as you said before, they may not have tried VR yet. There's still that eagerness to get in there, try VR, and see what you can do with it. Mm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I actually got an email from someone recently who was at a trade show, and they tried the Oculus Rift, and they was absolutely fascinated and blown away by it. So, yeah, and they, they wanted to share that with me like it's a, it's an experience you want to share with someone as soon as you've done it you want to share that experience Absolutely. and I think as well people want to be different now so if you're at a trade show and you've got VR you do want to be different and gaming just isn't for geeks and teenagers anymore so it's hot if you're a female gamer or you're a guy that has a man cave in his garage with a game station or the fact that your mum might play Candy Crush and other games on a phone. So games are transcending generations and computer ability. What kind of games are we seeing succeeding at trade shows? Because of the nature of virtual reality, um, it's very immersive and you can put controllers in people's hands. The games that succeed are the ones that don't have a lot of controls. The games where you put a headset on and you have a controller in your hand and you can see your hands in the virtual reality and you are reaching out and interacting with the world by just pulling a trigger on those controls because that's most like what you do in day-to-day life. So people can put the headset on, put these controllers in their hands and they're just there and they can interact with the world in a very ergonomic, natural, instinctive way. If we were to, say, put an Oculus Rift on somebody and then pass them an Xbox controller, they've got to learn what the buttons do. It's that next step. You're pulling them back out of the virtual reality you're breaking that compelling mm-hmm. impression by saying, okay, here's a joypad. So I think the games that succeed are the ones that make people feel like they have their head and they have their hands, and that's the controller. They're not thinking about button combinations. They're just thinking about picking things up, pulling levers, or even in the most simple interactives we do, just looking at something. You can just look at something for long enough and it'll fill up a little progress bar So you're registering your interest in an object in the world by just focusing on it for long enough. Yeah, and I suppose you can actually put your brand in the game as well and it could be featured in so many places that it's actually not annoying. Yes, I think having your brand both on the stand and in the virtual reality itself Mm. creates that compelling um, connection. If you don't have the branding in the game, then people are just playing any virtual reality experience. Whereas if you have well-managed, tasteful branding inside the game, that's what they're going to remember. When they're describing the experience to other people, they'll be thinking about your brand. I suppose people are wowed by the Oculus Rift. Like, you know, everybody's played an app with the fingers, but as soon as you put them in the immersive tech and they can see their hands, and that's a, that's wow. Yes, it's still we're at that point where there's still a wow factor. I think it will continue to have that wow factor. 
there's got to be the combination of the, the hardware and the quality software experience. But I think we are constantly surprised by how many people haven't yet experienced VR. Mm. I think everyone's heard about it. There's a huge amount of press coverage and there's some amazing figures being bandied about about the value of the virtual reality sector. But a lot of people haven't taken that step. I think because traditionally the hardware has been quite expensive in terms of the PC you need to run these simulations and the headsets themselves, people have thought, well, I'm not going to buy all of that equipment just to play a game. So it's still at that point where the prices are coming down, but a lot of people wouldn't dedicate some space in their living room to having a virtual reality setup. Mm-hmm. So coming to a trade show, they'll see, they can see this and have that experience for the first time. So the interest is there, but the opportunity potentially isn't for them as a home gamer. So to have their first VR experience at a, a trade show is important yeah you can share the experience with everybody else at the trade show by putting up a screen yes yeah so everyone can see what that person's seeing um they're just not as immersed as that person but it makes someone want to play yes they know what they're getting themselves in for i think there's something quite interesting about watching somebody in a vr headset and not knowing what they're experiencing there's that mystery mm-hmm. you're thinking, what on earth are they doing? Particularly when you see the motions that people make depending on the game and you think, I'm not quite sure, you know, what are they actually doing in that, you know, in that virtual world? So to put the headset on and not really know. And for some experiences that works better, to be surprised and have this new reality suddenly appear in front of you with no idea what you're about to be immersed into can be quite compelling. Yeah. But there's a trade-off in that, other people looking from the other side of the trade show floor are just seeing somebody with a headset waving their arms around. They're not yeah. seeing that you're having this immersive experience. So having that second screen can be a visible draw to your stand. And we've noticed that leaderboards work for collecting data and statistics as well um, when you're using virtual reality at the trade show. So how does it actually work, Andy? Can you explain like, how, what have you found works better in your experience? It depends on the demographic. What we have found is that the Top Gear-style leaderboard, where you can see what the scores are and you can want to compete and push your scores up there, that works well for a, a more gamified audience, um, an audience that are, uh, I would say, my age and younger, because they do feel competitive. They do know games and they do want to be at the top of that leaderboard, and they don't care if someone's got a good score, Mm. they'll actually go, no, I'm going to come back, I'm going to do better. With people who are less engaged in gaming, perhaps uh, older decision makers, um, showing that leaderboard actually puts them off. Because they look at a score that's high and think, well, I'm not going to beat that. And if it's just about getting to the top of the leaderboard, then that's dissuading them. So we found for some markets, having the data capture happen on an iPad and have the leaderboard invisible, Mm. at least for the first uh, few hours of the experience, makes people come and play more because they're not looking at an an unbeatable score. They're more willing to get engaged. Yeah, and I think it's um, worth making the point that anyone can put a business card in a fishbowl to get some free cookies, but their why as in their purpose for putting the business card inside the fishbowl, is because they actually want a free cookie and they're not really likely to stay at the booth and 
and talk to a member of staff. A, a, a VR game, they're there for a whole three minutes. Yes. Yeah. It's a more rich interaction. And what we tend to find is people don't come up and use the experience and then go away. Mm. They'll come up, they'll have the experience on for roughly three minutes, they take the headset off, and then they'll want to share that. We find that people actually stay around the stand and they draw people in and say, have you tried this? Have you seen this? You almost create evangelists for your brand because people are sharing experience. They're talking to the people on the stand for longer. They're creating a more positive association with the brand and they actually do go and spread the word at the trade, you know, at the expo itself. Mm, yeah, it's quite interesting to make the point that people are actually watching the brand as well. So for those three minutes, you're immersed in the brand and you're also immersed, like people are actually watching it on a screen. They're watching your brand. Yes. So it, it's, it's pretty, and that's for at least three minutes. But if someone wanted to trade show game and they came to you, what were the questions that you'd ask them? Like, what would you say to them? It's always good to know what the demographic is. I think knowing... Um, the focus of the trade show could impact the type of game that would be most, most appropriate. How much space they have is always interesting because what you don't want is to be creating a bottleneck at the trade show. Mm. Um, we can tailor an experience to the amount of space available. We have a few experiences that are off the shelf. So we have existing games that we can brand to, to them. It's whether their budget would cover something entirely bespoke, an entirely new game concept. Or if there's something that we already have that could be uh, branded to them. Yeah, so if you were to give us some ballpark figures in pricing. For similar experiences, for a mobile experience such as the Oculus Go, for example, we yeah. have some games that run on Oculus Go, that could be rebranded for as little as £2,000. Okay. So... The hardware costs in the region of 200 to 300 pounds. So for less than 2,500 pounds, you can have a VR experience. Depending on the depth of the game, um, the Oculus Rift experiences we have, those retail for around 6,000 pounds. Yep. Because the hardware is more expensive and the software is more complex. Uh, and we do work with... Uh, people's stand suppliers to ensure that they have everything they need in terms of the furniture to have the optimal VR experience as well. So there's a degree of consultancy that happens there. For something more bespoke, you're looking at probably £10,000 plus for something custom designed. And obviously if somebody comes to us and says, we want um, 20 hours of gameplay, that's going to be radically different from the classic trade show three-minute experience. Yeah. Yeah, it is worth noting you are there just to collect business cards and to create a new business. I mean, that's the end purpose of yes. of the game, isn't it? It's to attract as many people as possible and to to get the outcome of new business. Absolutely. So that's what you, that's what people want at the end. Is there anything that people should actually be aware of? Again, uh, space. If you've got somebody in a VR headset, you do need to make sure you have sufficient space around them yeah. for them to be able to play comfortably and safely. I think you have to be aware of how many times this is going to be used. So if you're going to create an experience and it's a one-off event, 
you should think about that quite differently to if you're doing a series of events throughout the year. Mm. You might want to think about how are you going to evolve the experience. You may want to think about what your actual goals are. Is it that you want to capture as many people as possible, engage as many as pe- people as possible, or is it more about the quality of that engagement? Do you want to engage somebody for longer, and maybe you only engage half the people that you otherwise would, but you're creating a more memorable connection with them and you're actually putting more time and effort into building that relationship rather than just capturing those business cards, uh, those email addresses. Yeah, because if you've got, for example, a really big bulky item that you need to transport worldwide, it might be better for you to buy a bespoke experience so you're not carrying big bulky items with you around the world and paying for shipping when maybe for 20 to 50 grand you could get something that you could transport worldwide in a headset and give people that experience so it's not just about the gamification you can also bring someone into an experience of your product absolutely that's a good point it's something we touched on last week having a virtual showroom Mm. being able to put on a vr headset and experience your entire range of otherwise difficult to transport items i think is incredibly powerful there's a lot of work being done in this in automotive, very high-end cars that are incredibly expensive, allowing people to virtually test drive those um, in a virtual showroom. Um, there are so many high-end or uh, large items that are very difficult or risky to transport, and you could demo those at a trade show with um, pretty minimal cost. Yeah, so, yeah for, ex- that's a really good point. for example, architecture. I mean, you can't keep transporting buildings. I mean, you could, um, showrooms you can transport, but you could actually put someone inside the building. Absolutely. Which is is a huge selling point. I think architecture is an interesting one because we can actually present an entirely virtual space. We can show somebody a building before it's been built. Mm. And the level of graphical quality is so high that it's as close as you could get to walking through that building before the foundations have been laid. So for a trade show, it's great. You can demonstrate this is the kind of quality that we can deliver in terms of the design, the construction, and the finish. You can also use it to get sign-off as well. So you can show somebody this is what it's going to be like to be in the space, not from a 2D image or from a rendered video, but from an actual full stereoscopic vision, the 360 vision of this space. So it's not just what it looks like, it's what that space feels like. Mm. And I think people can often misapprehend from a printed image or from a diagram how high something is or what the massing is like or the feature of a building, whereas in virtual reality, it's there. It's there in front of you. You are as close as you could be to being in that space before it's built. Yeah, well, that's all we've got time for today. And that was super interesting because trade shows are evolving and we are kind of at the base of the way it's going. Absolutely. I think we're going to see more VR. We're already seeing more VR and AR being used uh, on the expo floor. So I think it's going to come down to the quality of the experience. It's going to come down to how well people are thinking through what it is they're doing, how it aligns with their actual goals. Brilliant. So if you have got any questions for us, make sure you like and follow our social media and we will get back to you. If you have a problem, tell us and we'll solve it using immersive tech and we will put it on our podcast. 
That's right, yeah. Uh, If you can can submit uh, any problem you're having with your business, we'll have a look through and pick what we think is the most compelling um, and do some case studies on how we can address that with immersive technology. Well, that's bye for now. See you next week. See you next week. Bye.